0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado.
1: In the name of Jesus, amen. Brian and Kaylee, do you ever wonder what the rest of the world is going to think about you now that you are joining The Lutheran Church? especially a kind of Lutheran church that is tenacious and stubborn and refuses to bend when it comes to things like the purity of doctrine, when it comes to faithfulness to the confessions, and yes, occasionally singing difficult hymns with difficult tunes. <laughs> you know, when in a society where meaning and truth are thought to be in the eye of the beholder, we're really a little bit out of place. I mean, what kind of person insists on meticulous formulations of doctrine about God as if they pertain to everybody, regardless about what they believe? Even other Christians look at us a bit askance. You know, it's one thing to think that you have Jesus right. It's another thing to publicly preach, teach, and confess what you believe every Sunday without a hint of self-doubt. And so far from hiding in a corner, out of embarrassment, we Lutherans openly argue for our confession, even when there's seemingly nothing to be gained and everything to lose. So what does that make us? Some kind of religious extremists? I mean, why cling to these crazy teachings like baptismal regeneration or the bodily presence of Christ in the supper, Or the unconditional forgiveness of sins. Indeed, oftentimes, for the sake of peace, we as Lutherans are asked to let these things go. We're told, wasn't the Reformation about so much more than just fighting over dogmas and confessions? And it's true, there are plenty of ways to talk about the Reformation that minimalize or marginalize doctrine. One, of course, is that the Reformation is about this heroic man named Luther who faced a pope and an emperor and prevailed. Another idea is that the Reformation was a critical turning point in world history that opened the door to free thought, which then would lead to the greater revolutions of the Enlightenment or the Scientific Revolution. Still others insist that the Reformation was the beginning of Western-style nationalism, you know the German people came together and saw themselves collectively as a German, as a German country, and much in the same way as later the French would and then the English would. And still others look at the breadth of Christian history and lament the Lutheran madness over doctrine, which rents the unity of the church apart. And for these folks, the Reformation is something to be ashamed of and to be and to be repented of. So just how crazy are we? Have we missed the boat on the true meaning of the Reformation? Are we we really no better than religious extremists? Or is there something else that drives us? Something else that also drove our forefathers during the Reformation? Dear friends in Christ, zeal for God's kingdom is no new thing. And I want you to listen to how Jesus describes the intense way that the kingdom of God is apprehended in our gospel lesson. Jesus says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. You know what? I think that Luther is actually describing the Lutheran craziness that we've just been talking about. He's describing tenacity, zeal, and love from the unchangeable teachings of God's Word. Now, what exactly does this violent capture of heaven's kingdom look like? Well, it's strange, very, very strange. Because earlier in this chapter, when John the Baptist's followers came to to question Jesus, to discover whether or not he was truly the Christ, the Messiah, this is the kind of evidence that Jesus showed them. The kind of people who were pressing themselves into the kingdom of heaven weren't soldiers or thugs. They couldn't extort or physically force anything out of Jesus or his disciples. These people were blind, lame, leopards, deaf, poor, and dead. Every one of them sinners. They were completely helpless. And for those of them who still had breath... All they could manage was a feeble cry for mercy. And yet these are the ones whom Jesus heals, cleanses, and brings back to life. Jesus preaches to them. He evangelizes. He speaks gospel to their poor and desperate souls. This is the evidence that Jesus gives to John the Baptist's disciples. And then he says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That is, blessed is the one who does not turn his face away from me and my teachings, but hears my gospel, and then cries to me for mercy. A strange kind of violence indeed. And yet this is the same kind of violence that characterized John the Baptist's ministry as a man who was not afraid or ashamed of preaching Christ, who pointed away from himself and pointed to Jesus as the man who even landed in prison for preaching God's Word. And so we see from, from Jesus' own testimony, from His own evidence, that He is the one who gives gifts to, to, to sinners, and then these sinners press their way into the kingdom with new life, namely a life that cries out to Jesus for mercy. Indeed, the Scriptures foretold it, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. This means that Jesus is doing something completely new, something that the law could never accomplish. No doubt this kind of confused the, the crowds who were listening to Jesus, especially after Jesus told them that John the Baptist, if they could handle it, is Elijah who was prophesied to come. Now, when the crowds heard this, they immediately must have thought, Jesus is now saying that the great and awesome day of the Lord is upon us. That's uh, not necessarily good news. This is supposed to be a day of the law. You see, when the prophet Malachi prophesied Elijah to come, he described that this would come before the day of the Lord in terrifying terms, he used. A day that that prophesied of fire, A day that would leave sinners without a place to stand. And so the people who were awaiting the Messiah were expecting fire and judgment. They were expecting violence and wrath against sinners. But how did Jesus show himself to be the Christ? By judging or condemning on the spot? No, dear friends, he forgave, he healed, and he resurrected. And this is where the world stumbles and falls. It's where the Pharisees fell. It's where the Pope and and his church fell. And it's where we often fall. In the same way as they couldn't, we find it extremely hard, if not impossible, to fathom a Messiah who bestows grace and mercy. It's interesting how our eyes are just drawn to the law. The passages from Malachi that I that I was just talking about, are the ones that grab our eyes because they're the ones that terrify us. And in our fear, we we see these depictions of judgment and of fire, and then we become obsessed with trying to keep the law, to keep God's wrath at bay, to prove to God that, you know what, I I, I may have sinned here and there, but it's okay. I, I still do the law, and I can do enough to show you that I'm still a righteous person. I am not like those other sinners out there. our eyes so easily pass over the beautiful promises that Malachi and the other prophets also, pro- also give us. Because Malachi said this about you, dear saints, This shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in a day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves them. Jesus came into this world not to condemn it, but to save it. To save it by bearing God's wrath against sin in your place. You are God's children because the Father did not spare His own Son for your sake. This is what has set the world against us Lutherans. (laughs) Indeed, it has even set other Christians against us in our Lutheran doctrine. They would rather have a Messiah that, that only saves them part of the way. Because they do want their works, their efforts at trying to keep the law, to be praised by God. They want some some of their inherent righteousness that they think they have to shine on the day of judgment. To need a Savior who who suffers for all of the guilt that I have committed, for every action that I have done that is sinful, that springs from my corrupted flesh. That's just too much to ask. They want someone else, someone to to meet their messianic standards that leaves some room for justification by the law. And at this point, Jesus says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. When both John the Baptist and, and Jesus failed to meet our, our expectations of what a Messiah should be, it's exactly like children who are trying to get God to dance and mourn according to the tune of our false expectations. Jesus says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. These are the words of self-righteous people. People who don't need a Savior to bear God's wrath in their place. What about they're trying to seize a hold of and and force their way into the kingdom of God? They can't really do it, you see. (laughs) They do it, at first, probably with a lot of zeal. They probably do it with a lot of excitement over the fact that, you know what, I have this law from God, and now here's my chance. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to make God happy. But then you try after a few weeks, and it falls short. You say to yourself, I'm going to reinvigorate my study of God's Word. I'm going to jump on the daily Bible meditations that Pastor Wolfmuller and Flammy are are doing, and and I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to read my Bible. Three weeks later, if you're like me... (laughs) You realize just how many chapters you've missed, and you're struggling to keep up. And then we, we realize <laughs> that our there are efforts at trying to keep God's Word always end in sort of a half-hearted attempt, in a bit of laziness, and a bit of tiredness. And so it is with anyone who tries to force their way into the kingdom of heaven by the law. If you don't ever come to the realization of the depth of your sin, you're always going to be lost. But thanks be to God how different it is for us who have been saved by God's grace through the blood of Christ. Because the kingdom of heaven isn't something to be earned. It's our inheritance as God's children, as the ones who have been re, re, recreated and rejuvenated by God's word. Because once we were dead in our trespasses, but now we live and press towards the life that is already ours in faith. And believe it or not, this is the violence that Jesus is talking about. It's the life of living and active faith that's constantly pressing towards God with genuine fear, love, and trust. It's the life that seeks to love our neighbor as selflessly as Jesus has loved us. This is the life of faith that rejoices and praises God when we hear the promises of the gospel because we know that the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation can be found only where Jesus continues to preach the good news to poor sinners like us. This is the heart of our zeal for pure doctrine and a faithful confession. It's that Christians press their way into the kingdom of heaven by faith. There's no place for works. There's only a place for Jesus. And this was also the heart and soul of the Reformation. Because just like John the Baptist, Luther always pointed away from himself and to Jesus. Rather than pointing the people to their works, to their penance, to their indulgences for comfort, he pointed them to Jesus and his righteousness, which only can be received by faith. Hear from Luther's own mouth what, what he thinks about this violence. He says, This is the struggle of the godly, in which they awaken faith powerfully by the remembrance of the promise and the divine command and by trust in it. He says, I must and will preach, but the devil offers, re- offers resistance. Very well, preaching there must be, even if the world should be torn apart. These preachers are the men of violence who take the kingdom of heaven by force. Dear friends in Christ, Christian violence sheds no blood. Rather, it points to the blood of Jesus. It doesn't attack enemies with guns, swords, or bombs. Instead, it sends men to preach the commands and promises of God. These commands and promises are the wisdom of God. Our text today concluded with these words. Jesus said, Wisdom is justified by her deeds. And you, dear friends, are the deeds, the children of wisdom, of Christ Himself, who is being powerfully present in His Word. Because you hear Jesus' promise of forgiveness and believe, because you received heaven's wisdom of the gospel, you gladly and happily press your way into the kingdom of heaven by faith holding God accountable to His promises and resting in the sure hope of resurrection and eternal life. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.